Let's pray. We ask you to speak, O Lord, this morning. Take your truth and plant it deep in us. Use it to shape and fashion us into your likeness. We pray. Amen. Well, I wonder if you remember going to a birthday party, a wedding, any event or gathering. Uh, The host is a Christian. Maybe you're even the host. And you often look out at the crowd and you see two distinct groups, the Christians and the non-Christians, whether it be work friends, family, or friends from uni days, two clear groups, a clear divide in the middle, both groups comfortable associating within themselves and separating from the other. Or maybe in your life, those two groups never meet. You have your church friends for some events, and your non-church friends for other events. I've been to Bucks parties when we had a Christian's Bucks party and a non-Christian's Bucks party. Maybe even over time, uh, the two groups have really become one group. It's just the Christian friends. For whatever reason, you lose your non-Christian friends over time. I've seen all three of these in my life, uh, parties where one side are my Christian friends and the other side are my school friends. Events where I had a, uh, where I had a party for my church friends and the same celebration, another party with my school friends. And even for a few years, where I look back and realize I only have Christian friends. I lost contact with all my high school and uni friends, and I wasn't making any new connections outside of church. Maybe you've seen some or even all of these situations in your life and in different seasons in your life. Well, this idea of separatism, uh, my Christian friends on one side, my non-Christian friends on the other side, uh, this was evident kind of in first century Israel in a similar but different way. It wasn't exactly between believer and unbeliever, It was between the ones who saw themselves as pious, devout, righteous, and spiritual, and then the social outcasts, the marginalized, the unclean, the sinners, the traitors, people who are seen to be far away from God. And as we continue thinking about our vision, a church on mission, uh, we've looked at being convicted and being captured by God's mission. Last week, we looked at confidence that the gospel works, that everything we need is found in Christ. Well, today we look at connections. Who does God want us to reach out to? Who in our lives need to hear the gospel? Who are we on mission to? And today we see Jesus in action seeing what Jesus on mission looks like and using this to consider what mission looks like for us today as disciples of Jesus. Our passage today is found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Some of you know that earlier this year I lectured at Queensland Theological College 
and I actually lectured on an overview of Luke's gospel. And one of the distinctive features of Luke's writing is that he highlights Jesus showing compassion to all in society, all and especially including those who were overlooked by others, whether it be Samaritans, Gentiles, tax collectors, and sinners, women, and the poor. And Luke does this to demonstrate that salvation in Jesus, the good news of life in Christ, is really for everyone. It's for all peoples. And today's passage really zooms into Jesus' compassion, his mission, his heart, and who he wants to see saved. And I think it ought to shake us out of our comfort zones in who we associate with and how we associate with them for the sake of the gospel. Today's passage focuses on two events uh, with three parts to it. And the first part starts like this in verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. I think there's two things happening here. One, uh, we're not going to focus on, uh, but it's about the nature of being a disciple. Uh, But quickly, you can see here Jesus seeking out Levi, calling Levi to follow Jesus, and note Levi's response. He leaves everything to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is meant to be radical, and outrageous like this, leaving everything behind to follow him. But the thing I want to focus in on today is that Jesus, we see here, he takes initiative, he seeks out, he calls a tax collector to be his disciple. You see, tax collectors, they were hated in Israel in the first century. They took a job with the Romans Uh, whom the Jews hated to collect tax on their behalf when people traveled from city to city and doing other things that required tax. And these tax collectors, they often took a cut for themselves too, most often a dishonest cut, which is how they made money. So they were seen as traitors, disloyal, corrupt, and crooks. You see, they weren't the kind of people you'd want to associate with ungodly, betraying money launderers. That's who tax collectors were. And the Jews didn't associate with them. They would steer clear. They were ostracized to the point where they formed their own clique away from the rest of society. But look at what Jesus does here. It's not an accident He sees a tax collector named Levi. He's in the tax booth. Of course, he's a tax collector. Jesus deliberately goes to him, this ungodly nation betraying money launderer. He talks to him, this guy that others would steer clear of, that others didn't want to be seen with. And he calls this guy to follow him, to follow Jesus. 
You see, this is the first thing we see about Jesus on mission. He calls a tax collector. He's calling someone that everyone else didn't want to associate with, that we today probably wouldn't want to associate with. And he calls him to follow him, to be a disciple of Jesus. Well, as we keep going, the next scene always challenges me. Uh, Before I got married, I used to host a lot of barbecue dinners almost every Sunday night. Uh, I'd invite a bunch of people, friends, and sometimes one of my friends would ask me, hey, can my friend come too? And in my sinfulness, my first reaction is usually, I don't really want someone random here. I don't really want someone that I don't know here. What if he's difficult? What if he's a dodgy guy? But Jesus here, his heart is the complete opposite. Have a look at verse 29. And Levi made him, Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. The scene changes, is still centering on Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, now become disciple. And the scene probably doesn't happen immediately after Jesus calls Levi, but sometime later, Luke, he just puts it together thematically. And Levi honours his teacher, Jesus, by throwing a big party, a Middle Eastern barbecue, I reckon, and Jesus, he's the guest of honour. But look at who Levi invites. He doesn't talk about the other disciples. It's his workmates, tax collectors, others later described as sinners, ranging from irreligious people to outright crooks. They're likewise outcasts of societies too. It's Jesus here and a scandalous crowd. Jesus with not just one tax collector, but a whole mob of outcasts. This would have been all over the news and social media. And note Jesus, uh, we're not not told much, but we don't get the idea here that Jesus, he's trying to bail. He's trying to get away. He's ashamed of the company. If anything, it's implied that Jesus, he's comfortable They're all reclining. Jesus is reclining at the table with them. He's relaxed. He's more than happy to be part of this group. Our second thing to note about Jesus on mission is that he invests time and happily associates with tax collectors and sinners. The compassion and reach of Jesus really does extend towards everyone. And this is what Luke wants his readers to note here. Now we get to the third and final scene. It flows on from the dinner party, though probably again it doesn't happen during or right after the feast as it reads, but sometime after, since the Pharisees, they wouldn't want to have been anywhere near this house and this party. Verse 30 says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples. 
saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, the Pharisees, they were a Jewish group who prided themselves in law-keeping and being righteous, holy, pure, and clean. They wouldn't have done what Jesus did to mix with outcasts and sinners, the unclean and traitors. And they judged Jesus. You should know better. You don't hang around with these sorts of people. You should say no to decline fellowshipping with these sorts of people, not wanting to be seen by them. And note three things. First, the Pharisees, they grumble. Grumbling is always a terrible action in the Bible. Israel grumbled at God in the wilderness. And here the Pharisees are grumbling. It's a negative thing. Second, look who they're grumbling to. Not Jesus, but his disciples. These Pharisees, they don't even have the guts to confront Jesus, so they gossip and take it up with his disciples. And the third thing, eat and drink. These are the words the Pharisees use. Meals symbolize acceptance and friendship. And here the accusation is Jesus not only ate, but ate and drank with these outcasts. That's emphasizing the point Jesus happily and fully associates with those that he shouldn't. And it's to this accusation that Jesus outlines his mission, his ministry, who he came for, and who his good news is for. Verse 31. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus, his ministry is like a doctor. Doctors don't attend to the healthy. They minister to the sick. And likewise, Jesus, he hasn't come to associate with the righteous, but he's come to associate with sinners to bring healing to the sinner, to call them back into repentance. And by the way, this isn't saying that the Pharisees, they don't need Jesus. Jesus, he's using irony. He's being sarcastic because the Pharisees, they see themselves as healthy, clean, pure, and holy. But they need Jesus too. They just don't see their own need or their own sickness, their own disease, that they need Jesus. You see, this scene shows us the third thing today about the mission of Jesus. He came to seek sinners, outcasts, those outside of God's kingdom, and he's come to call them to repent and trust in him. If we're thinking about our church on mission, we should take note of Jesus on mission, his life, his ministry, and learn from Jesus himself. And this is what we see today. Jesus calling a tax collector, an outcast, to be his disciple. 
Jesus investing time to associate with tax collectors and sinners, outcasts, people different to him, people others wouldn't associate with. And Jesus declaring his mission, coming to call sinners to repentance. He came not for the righteous and healthy, but for sinners to seek those far away from God and God's people. And all of these that we're seeing today point to the gospel message, the good news of Jesus itself. Jesus came to call sinners to him. He came for the sick and needy, for the poor and the outcast. And his saving work on the cross that we've sung about all morning, it reaches really to all people, all parts of society, even the parts that we marginalize and we disassociate from, even the people that we, no, we naturally don't get along with or hang around. The cross transcends all boundaries and barriers we put up. And anyone can be saved. Really, anyone can be saved. It's through repenting and trusting in Jesus as he died on the cross to take away his sin and rose from death to new life, winning you new life forever. So as we think about the mission of Jesus and this passage today, I think we're all forced to ask this question. Are you more like Jesus or the Pharisee? Are you more like Jesus or the Pharisees? Jesus who associates with tax collectors and sinners, with ungodly people, with people completely different to him, with people who are far from God. Jesus who isn't concerned by separation, by uncleanliness, discomfort, or social boundaries, and the look of what others might think of him. Jesus who calls them to repentance and discipleship, who wants them to be part of God's family, who wants to see these people saved, who calls them to repent and trust in him. Or is it the Pharisees who don't associate with tax collectors and sinners, who are more concerned about separation and what others might think of them than the mission of God, who don't call people who need saving to repentance and discipleship? Are you more like Jesus or the Pharisees? Reflect on your heart this morning. I think the longer and longer I'm a Christian, the easier it is for me to slip into being an accidental Pharisee. I never wanted to become one, to only hang around Christians and upright people, to separate from the ungodly, to forget that Jesus came to call sinners to repentance and for my heart to grow cold to God's mission to see people saved. It's so easy to slip into being an accidental Pharisee. And our Western society around us doesn't help our cause either. Our society tells us intrinsically that 
the world out there is a bad and dark place and we can't trust anyone. And we're bombarded with messages of risk management, cautiousness, wisdom. We don't want to be taken advantage of not getting our hands dirty. And this comes on top of our sinful tendencies to look after ourselves first too. You see, we're naturally wired to be like the Pharisees. We're naturally, with our sinful tendencies and society's message, to say things like, we have to be wise about who we associate with. Wisdom is good. Being cautious is good. But I think it easily becomes an excuse more than a legitimate reason to not associate with someone, to not hang out with someone, to not connect or be friends with someone who doesn't know Jesus. I know this because in my sinfulness, I make this excuse all the time. Let's take in the mission and ministry of Jesus today. Taking initiative, going across barriers to associate with others, not being worried by the look of it, spending time loving the outcast, the ungodly, the sinner and the unbeliever, calling them to repentance and faith, and most importantly, calling them to be disciples of Jesus. Well, how do we do this? Well, I have three practical ways that we can be more like Jesus in how we interact and connect with those who are yet to trust in Jesus. They're all pretty simple, but I think they're still worth focusing in and talking about. The first one is this, mix with non-believers, especially those who are outside your comfort zone. Reflect for a moment and think about the people in your life you intentionally spend time with. Who are the non-believers in your life? If you can't think of any, then my suggestion is to intentionally make friends with non-believers. Grow friendships with workmates. Join a shared interest group. Reconnect with old friends. Jesus doesn't call us to live in a Christianized world on this side of eternity. If anything, the example of Jesus here pushes us to associate more with people who don't know God, including those who are totally different from us. If you've got a handful of non-believing connections, then intentionally mix with them. Grow connections with them. Reflect God's love to them in your friendships. Prioritize time with them. Mix with non-believers, especially those outside your comfort zone. And just a note on this one, some of us struggle to mix with believers who are different to us. If this is you, then start there and keep growing your love for those who are different to you. Second thing, merge universes. 
between your believer friends and your non-believer friends. You see, the world of the Pharisee was separation. Righteous people on one side and ungodly people on the other side. But Jesus and the disciples, they blew up that separation. Tax collectors and sinners, unclean and poor, Samaritans and Gentiles, the blind and the diseased, all brushing shoulders with Jesus and the disciples. We see this all through the gospel accounts. And I think we need to keep blowing up that separation today. Not having my Christian friends on one side and my non-Christian friends on the other side. Sam Chan calls this merging universes. He says, typically as Christians, we have two separate universes of friends. We have a universe of Christian friends, and we have another universe of non-Christian friends, and we keep those two universes separate from each other. When our Christian friends go to the movies, we go along with them. When our non-Christian friends have a barbecue, we go along with them. But what we need to do is merge our universes. So when our Christian friends go to the movies, we invite our non-Christian friends. And when our non-Christian friends have a barbecue, we bring some of our Christian friends along. Bit by bit, our Christian friends will become friends with our non-Christian friends. We will have merged our universes. He also says that this isn't a one-off thing that we do once or twice. It's a lifestyle conviction that becomes second nature in the things that we do and go to. And there's a few results of merging universes. First, your non-Christian friends get to meet more friends who believe in Jesus. Second, your Christian friends get to meet more non-Christian friends It helps the first tip that we had. And third, most non-Christians, if you talk to them, they don't actually have any or many friends who follow Jesus. But by merging universes, Harry connected with not just Josh, who's a Christian, but Tim, Jeff, Spence, and Grant, and obviously Thurindu, who are all Christians too. And this leads to more gospel opportunities. It increases the plausibility of Christianity to a non-Christian. They'll say, hey, I know not just one Christian, but 10, 15, 20 Christians, and they're all nice and loving people. They all believe in this Jesus stuff. Maybe it's more credible than I think. Maybe it's actually something worth investigating. Merge your universes between your believer friends and non-believer friends. We're a good place to start. Well, personal events like birthday parties, housewarmings, gatherings of people to celebrate things. Don't hold two. Don't exclude one group. Bring them all together. Activities that arise, random meal opportunities, movies, if people still do that today, picnics, outings, our community dinners are a place of merging universes, connecting our friends we invite 
with Christians from the church. Merge universes. And when they are merged, go and talk to someone new, someone different. Break the barriers between those universes. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance, not believers into comfort. Third and final tip. Make a beeline to Jesus whenever the opportunity comes up. Make a beeline to Jesus whenever the opportunity comes up. You see, Jesus' ministry isn't just to be nice. It isn't just to break the barriers of society. It's to call sinners to repentance. It's to see sinners leave everything and follow Jesus, just like the illustration of Levi. You don't get too many opportunities to talk about Jesus. So when an opening comes up, grab it and run with it. And there's different ways to go about this. Sometimes people, they literally just ask you, what do you believe in? Are you prepared to answer that question and present the good news of Jesus that you believe in. Sometimes people talk about Jesus uh, in different ways in issues such as religion and schools, denominations, hot topics like same-sex marriage, abortion, church controversies in the news. Do you take them as an opportunity to segue to Jesus? Or do you quickly change topics like how's the weather or how's the sport? Sometimes people will invite you to share the hope that you, ha- you have, whether it's talking about death or disease, endurance through tough times, a life decision you made that doesn't make sense uh, to the worldly people. Sometimes you even get to ask these questions of others. Are you ready? Are you ready to make a beeline to Jesus? when the opportunity comes up. I must confess that I'm guilty in my efforts of changing topics, missing opportunities, even wishing that they won't even come up. Am I ready to make a beeline to Jesus? Are you ready to make a beeline to Jesus? Not to preach and Bible bash, but to winsomely and clearly share what you believe about the hope of eternal life found in Jesus. Three tips. Mix with non-believers, especially those outside your comfort zone. Merge universes between your believing friends and your non-believing friends and make a beeline to Jesus whenever the opportunity comes up. Not all pastors are natural evangelists. I'm not one. I love Jesus and I want to talk and share Jesus with others, but I have to work hard in adopting a lifestyle of mission in all the points that we've talked about this morning. I read Sam Chan's book uh, during the new year, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. It's in our church library, I think, one copy's out and one copy's there. And I found this book incredibly helpful.
helpful. Clear, encouraging, challenging, super easy to read in thinking about sharing Jesus to those around me that are lost without him. Really commend this book to you. Well, as we finish off today, uh, my friends have been playing Friday night basketball uh, at Nissan Arena for the past few years. We're all church friends. Uh, we've been playing socially together for about 10, 15 years. But over the last year, I've seen Friday night basketball as a place where all three of these tips have been in action. First, it's a place we mix with non-believing friends. I've seen the guys over the last few months working hard at inviting their friends from doctor friends, high school mates, uni friends, people they meet from playing basketball somewhere else. And we play basketball from 7 to 9 or 8 to 10. And at 10.30 p.m., uh, we'll all go to have supper at Market Square, Christians, non-Christians, believers, unbelievers together. Second, we merged universes there. Caleb's friend is now CP's friend, Gary's friend, my friend, people who only knew one Christian. Now they're friends with 10, 15 more Christians. And third, people make beelines to Jesus. Through Friday night basketball this year, at least two people are going to Sunday church regularly. They were non-believers, people that I would never have picked to go to church. Now they're regular at church. They're hearing the Bible taught. They willingly want to be there. And at least one of these two guys, they've been presented with the gospel message. And I'm pretty sure he's weighing Jesus up right now. And I'm praying that one day, this guy, he'll put his trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, as we finish off, let's reflect on ourselves. Are you more like Jesus or the Pharisees? Are you more like Jesus or the Pharisees? And let's take on board these three tips to be more like Jesus on mission. Mix with non-believers, merge universes, and make a beeline to Jesus and the awesome hope that we have of new life in him. Let's pray. Father God, please, by your spirit, grow our hearts to be more like Jesus. Give us a heart for the lost, the sinner, the out ungodly, the outcast, the ones different to us. Help us to intentionally grow our connections with these people who don't know Jesus. Help us to merge universes between our believing friends and non-believing friends. And help us, Lord, to be ready to point people to the goodness of Jesus. Give us boldness, courage, and confidence in your gospel. Help us to share that life forever is only found in Christ. That they may, turn, that they may in turn 
hear your message of salvation, change their ways, and find life in your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.